Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank You for that simple truth. When we are at the end of ourselves and our own resources and our own will, when it's no longer on our own strength upon which we can rely, that's when You start to work. And Your strength is indeed perfect. When we've reached the end of ourselves, You lift us up. You give us Your strength to overcome whatever lies ahead. We thank You, Father, for Your faithfulness in our lives and and for Your presence with us here this morning. We ask now that You'll open our hearts to hear and receive the Word You have for us. In Your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Little Henry Wells' story begins on December 12, 1805. Henry was born in Thetford, Vermont, to the Reverend Shipley Wells and his wife, Dolly. His father was a famous itinerant Presbyterian preacher. And listen to this. Of his seven siblings, two would grow up to become ministers. Two would marry ministers. And one sister would become a missionary in Pakistan. But that was not the case for little Henry. He would never become a great preacher or a great speaker or minister or missionary because little Henry faced a disability very early on in his life. See, he stuttered and stammered severely. So severe was the problem, he could barely get a word out. Communication with the outside world was often shut down entirely. But little Henry was raised in a good Christian family with a good Christian education. And his parents always prayed that God would help him overcome. In 1824, Henry began to see a speech therapist at the age of 19 in Rochester, New York. With much effort and and discipline and hard work and patience, his speech began to improve. In fact, his stuttering became almost non-existent. And so Henry continued the trade He had learned as a child, that of shoemaking. See, Henry was very skilled and talented with his hands. So he continued to make shoes until a tragic accident happened one day. Henry was thrown from his carriage when his horses bolted, badly injuring his wrist. The injury was so severe it left his right hand crippled forever. He would be unable to write, let alone make shoes. It was a crushing blow to to his health, to his career, to his future. But he remembered his parents' prayer. God would help him overcome. Port Byron, the town that uh, Henry was living in, was on the Erie Canal. The Erie Canal had just opened. And this once landlocked town suddenly became a port city between New York and Cleveland, Ohio. So seeing the opportunity of the location God had placed him in, and the fact that he couldn't make shoes anymore, Henry decided to jump into the transportation field. That was the coming thing in upstate New York. And so he took on various jobs handling freight and freight transportation. And by 1836, Henry was traveling up and down the Erie Canal transporting freight. Until another tragedy struck. Another accident badly injured Henry. This time his leg was severely injured. He would heal, but it left one leg five inches shorter than his other leg. 
he would forever walk with a very severe limp. It was a crushing blow to his health, to his career, to his future. Oh, but Henry remained undaunted. He remembered his parents' prayer. God would help him overcome. Now, unable to handle the transportation needs himself, and with business doing so well, Henry decided he'd start a little company to take on the shipping needs. He hired transporters to handle the transportation needs. And on this very day, March 18, 1850, Henry opened his little company. He named it American Express. <laughs> Business boomed. Two years later, Henry saw the need to extend the service from Buffalo to San Francisco. Henry Wells met William Fargo, and together they founded Wells Fargo and Company. Henry Wells founded not one, but two of the greatest American corporations ever built. Henry Wells, the stuttering, stammering, cripple-handed, short-legged, severely limping overcomer, became one of the greatest American heroes of our history. And he never forgot his parents' prayer. God would help him overcome. You know, life isn't always fair. Not by our standards, anyway. It isn't always easy. It throws a lot of curveballs and tragedies our way. But make no mistake about it, those tragedies don't define who we are. Our response to them does. We don't look back today and say, Henry Wells, that poor fellow... With a crippled hand, he couldn't even write. We don't look back and say, Henry Wells, that poor guy who, who limped so severely, you could barely stand to look at him. Now we say, Henry Wells, the American overcomer who trusted God to redirect his path. And remember that the next time you see an American Express commercial or drive by a Wells Fargo branch. Henry Wells, the overcomer who trusted God. You know, God has a purpose and a plan for everything that we think is a random tragedy in our lives. Everything that we think is a difficult trial, God has a purpose for it. God has a plan. And the results are up to Him, right? What's up to us? Our response, our attitude. Today we're going to look at another life full of tragedies and curveballs, and we're going to see the response of that young man right from the Scriptures. Turn with me to our text this morning. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Here was a man who had every cause, every reason, every excuse to take on an attitude of bitterness and complaining and defeat. But he chose another way. Joseph is his name. Joseph was the firstborn son of of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. And so Joseph was his favorite son. He, in fact, gave him a special coat, which well, didn't please his brothers any. And I think the final straw came with Joseph's, the, the interpretation of his dreams. See, Joseph dreamed that all his brothers and his father and mother would bow down to him. Well, this didn't sit well with his brothers. Yeah, and their jealousy got the best of them. So we're going to pick up the story now. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 12. 
Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, Israel was Jacob, God had renamed his name to Israel, said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. End of verse 17 now. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, look, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood they took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Let's stop here. Strike one. Strike one for Joseph. The first big curveball in Joseph's charmed life. One minute he was wearing his special robe and dreaming of his bright future. And the next minute he... He found himself in chains in a foreign land owned by people he didn't even know. In an instant, he lost his freedom, his dignity, and his future. He was betrayed by the ones he trusted most, his, his own brothers, full of envy and jealousy. His father mourned the loss. His brothers tried to cover their guilt and shame. And there was Joseph the innocent victim of a heartless act. Was it fair? No. Was it just? No. Was it right? No. Was it the end? No. The next mention we have of Joseph is in Genesis 39 and verse 1. Let's keep reading. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar... An Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, 
Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Hold on. Wait a minute. Did we did we skip something? There's there's no mention of Joseph in chapter thirty eight. So this this is the continuation of the story. They left out the part that Joseph's anger and his rage and his plots of revenge. Well, where's that part? Where's the part about his bitterness, his questioning God, his his coming to terms with the the lot God gave him, with the turn life took for him. It's, it's got to be in there. But you know what? You can look for it and you won't find it. Because Joseph makes a very conscious choice, a very conscious decision to accept what God gave him, to accept the turn life took for him and God allowed it's too early for lemonade. Shouldn't some time be spent looking at the bitterness over the lemons Joseph was handed? Not for Joseph. He knew who was in charge. He knew who was in control. He knew who was behind the circumstances of his life. Joseph chooses to accept the injustices waged against him. To roll up his sleeves where God placed him and get to work doing the task at hand. Did he understand why? No. But he knew who was in control. He knew who had his back. He knew who was guiding him. Stop asking God, why me? Why now? Why here? Why this? Start asking God, what? What do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do where you've placed me, Lord? You know, it's easy to say we want God's will for our lives. When we envision His will as a rosy future for us, as a bed of roses, Lord, you choose for me. Choose which mansion I'm going to live in. (laughs) Lord, choose which beautiful spouse I'm going to marry. Choose which wonderful job I'm going to have, Lord. I want you to choose. Yeah, but what happens when, when His will means a turn in our lives that we would never have imagined for ourselves? What happens when we see everything we want slipping away and everything that we could never imagine or or, or want to think about served up to us? What's our attitude like? What's our response like? You know, what made Joseph so great wasn't that he was a man of, of great words, great skill and great talent, though he was. What made him so great was he was a man of action. He did what God wanted him to do Right there. And what made him even greater than that wasn't so much what he did as what he didn't do. He didn't complain. He didn't grumble. He didn't question God. He didn't shake his fist in anger at God. Why me? No. He never took on an attitude of defeat 
or depression or distress or blame or finger pointing. It's so easy to do. He was served up a lesson on injustice and cruelty. And he found a way to snatch joy out of the jaws of depression. Acceptance is a choice. Joy is a choice. We, we don't think of them that way, do we? Joy. Well, joy is a reaction. It's an emotion. No, it's not. Gut reactions aren't choices. No, no. That's driven by our thoughts and our behavior. You can't control your circumstances. That's what your reactions react to. But you know what? If joy is a choice, choices are driven by our thoughts and emotions and behavior. We can choose how to behave. We can choose what to think. So we find Joseph thriving, thriving in a foreign land despite the hand life dealt him, despite the turn that God allowed for him. So let's keep reading now. Chapter 39, verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, look, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And, and when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak right here beside me and he ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us, he came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Strike two. Another injustice, another unexpected twist in Joseph's road, another tragedy. Let's see. First, first I was betrayed and left for dead by my own brothers. Then, then I was sold into slavery in a foreign land to people I didn't know. Now my employers are making up lies against me and accusing me of something I didn't do, a crime I didn't commit. And, and, and now I find myself behind prison bars as if I had any freedom left. Even that was taken away. And the kicker, the kicker is I'm innocent and, and not just innocent. I'm ethical and moral and doing what God wants me to do. And I find myself with the lowest dregs of society. Surely now, surely Joseph throws his hands up. I give up. I give up. I'm going to give in to an attitude of defeat and complaining and bitterness and grumbling. Who would blame him? It would be perfectly expected because of such injustice. 
because of such circumstances. He, he's got to be angry and bitter now. Let's, let's read all about it. His attitude of anger, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I can't believe it. They left out the angry Joseph part again. I don't know what version this is. But it's not there. You won't find it in any version. Once again, Joseph makes a conscious decision to choose joy in the face of heartache and defeat and injustice and lies. Why? Because his joy isn't based on his circumstances. It's not dependent on them. It's not dependent on how he feels or what's happened to him or what he thinks he deserves or what others are accusing him of. His joy is in the Lord. His hope is in the Almighty God who spins the world in the palm of His hands and holds every situation of ours in His grasp. How else was Joseph able to react this way? See, Joseph realized that the trials he was passing through weren't happening randomly. They weren't happening haphazardly. They they were ordained by God. They were chosen by God. God was still on His throne. He hadn't turned his back. He wasn't not paying attention. God knows everything that's going on in your life. You know, he had the right attitude. He had the right perspective, didn't he? That's the perspective that we so desperately need today. God is using the trial you are in for a purpose. It's an easy statement to say, but it's an entirely difficult one to grasp when you're in the moment in the middle of the trial, passing through the storm. God is in control. And He loves you so much that He wants to work on you to make you better than you are right now. You know how God works on us? Do you know what He does? Do you know what He uses? Have you ever seen a piece of steel get molded and made into something? They take the piece of steel there and then they take feathers and dust the steel. It's a lovely process. No. They fire it up. They pound on it. That's what they use. That's what God does. It isn't with a cushy life and a pathway of rose petals that He changes us. It's with difficulties that build our faith. It's with trials that crush our pride. It's with losses that empty us of ourselves. It's with defeats that send us running back to His open arms. God is using whatever you're in today to make you what He wants you to be. And the sooner we get that, the sooner it'll change our attitude and our perspective and our tolerance and our patience. That's how we choose joy. We see that trial, that difficulty, that obstacle in our way, we see that that we think is robbing us of our joy, we start seeing that as ordained by God, hand-selected by Him for us to make us better. So once again, Joseph flourished where God put him. 
even in prison shackles, we're told that Joseph found favor with the warden. God gave Joseph success in everything he touched, everything he did, because his attitude was right. His perspective was right. Chapter 40 of Genesis, we're not going to read it, tells us what happened in that prison. Joseph made friends with Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, who was a prisoner there himself. And Joseph successfully interpreted the chief cupbearer's dreams. And within three days, he was restored. The chief cupbearer was restored to his position in Pharaoh's court. And so you think, okay, surely now that cupbearer is going to remember that good man, his friend who helped him in prison. That righteous man that, that's locked up in chains. Surely he's going to remember him. But we read in Genesis 40, chapter 23, Sorry, 40 verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. It was just three days. He forgot him. Strike three, Joseph. Abandonment, betrayal, slavery, injustice, imprisonment, and now rejection. He was forgotten by the one he helped. Family betrayed him. But Joseph chose acceptance. Employers lied about him and imprisoned him, but Joseph chose joy. And now friends abandon and forget him, but Joseph chooses trust. His trust isn't in men and on what they can do for him, how they can help him, how they can save him. He has a much higher faith, a much loftier faith. His trust is in a God who never forgets us who never abandons us, who never fails us, and who always keeps his word. Look at the lessons Joseph learned. One, he learned that the trial he was in was ordained by God. Two, he learned that it was for a purpose. It was purposeful. He knew it was ordained, and not only ordained, but it was purposeful. And not only was it purposeful, His third lesson, it was temporary. This too shall pass. God has a purpose for what he brings us through. It may hurt. It may be difficult. It may be painful. But make no mistake about it. He's bringing us through. There is light on the other side. Blue skies are just up ahead. It's not always going to be this way. But there is something to be said about the length of the trial. It's not arbitrary. God isn't a God of randomness. It's going to last as long as it takes for you to learn what God wants you to learn. Kick and scream and complain and shake your fist at God and spend another day in Pharaoh's prison. That wasn't the case for Joseph. His trials could have lasted much, much longer than they did. He could have been an old man by the time he learned what God wanted him to learn. Lessons about trust and acceptance and forgiveness and reliance on God. But he wasn't an old man. That wasn't the case. Joseph was a quick learner with a strong, silent faith. He didn't go around, oh, woe me, poor me, look what God is doing to me. He was quiet about his lot. He accepted it. He trusted God. He made the best of it. And he worked hard where he was, where God had placed him. And so finally, 
God was done with this chapter in Joseph's life. Joseph learned what God needed him to learn. Joseph became who God needed him to become. And so now, since Joseph responded so beautifully, God's plan would be revealed. See, Pharaoh, Pharaoh had a mysterious dream, a dream that no one in the kingdom could interpret. No one except Joseph, who used his God-given skills and talents to interpret Pharaoh's dream, to tell him about a coming famine and how Pharaoh could plan and the whole kingdom could survive that coming famine. So let's read about Pharaoh's response now. Payday. Genesis 41, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. Wow. What a story of redemption and restitution. From favored son to forgotten criminal to second in command of all of the kingdom. Did God have a purpose and a plan? Yes. Did Joseph know all about it? No. Joseph had no clue what God was up to. But he knew that it was God that was up to it. Did Joseph make a conscious choice and an effort at every turn of his road to trust God? Yes. What a journey. What a road it took to get Joseph to that payday. It was a road filled with pain and betrayal and abandonment. But you look back and it was all worth it. And then you realize it. Joseph couldn't have become who God wanted him to without the road that it took to get him there. Hmm. He couldn't have gotten there without the hardships of the journey. Couldn't have gotten that payday. Payday! Yeah, I'm all about payday. Lord, Lord, give me that promotion. Bring me the blessings, Lord. Send it on down. Pour it out, Lord. Payday, I'm ready for that. But hardships, trials, difficulties, no, no, no. No, I don't want any part of that. Then you'll never be the person ready for God's appointment. Ready for God's promotion. Look how it was used. Had Joseph stayed as favored son in his father's household, he would have never gotten to Egypt, the land God needed him to be in, to bless him so richly. It took his brothers betraying him and throwing him into that cistern and selling him as a slave to get him into the land God needed him to be. 
And had he stayed in Potiphar's household, he would have lived a a nice life as, as an attendant, as a slave though. He would have never gotten into Pharaoh's prison. It took the lie of Potiphar's wife and Joseph losing his job and getting thrown into prison to get him in the line of sight of Pharaoh. Had that chief cupbearer immediately remembered Joseph and gotten him released, he would have gone his own happy way and he wouldn't have been around at the time Pharaoh had his dream and needed that interpretation. God weaves every thread of our lives. God directs and redirects every path of our way. See, every tragic turn, every difficulty, every painful trial, every heartache played an important role, played a purpose in God's greater plan. If we look at the heartaches of our lives as self-contained, random, haphazard incidents, we see only the pain of the moment and we drown. But if we step back and realize they're part of a far greater plan to redirect us, to prepare us, to break us, and to make us who God wants, then we'll focus less on the pain and more on the process. And so there it is once again. God has a plan. That plan contains a process. That process may contain pain. But we keep it in perspective because God is in control. God is using that to make us someone He wants us to be, to take us somewhere He wants us to go, to bless us more richly than we could ever dream. So remember, remember the four lessons Joseph learned. Your trial is ordained by God. Your trial is being used by God for a purpose. Three, your trial is temporary. It's not going to last forever. Four, get to work right where God has placed you doing what he wants you to do. How well did Joseph learn these lessons? How well did he learn from his experience? Seven years later, his brothers came to Egypt begging for food because that famine that Joseph predicted was going to happen, happened. And who was now in charge of appropriating the food to all of the kingdom? Joseph. Right then and there, he could have exacted his revenge. Right then and there, he could have called for their heads. He could have called for their lives and he would have had them. But Joseph learned better than that. Go home and read it later. Joseph chose the higher road. Joseph chose God's way. He chooses forgiveness. He opens his arms to them. He forgives them. He welcomes them. And he still loves them. What a man. What a story. Joseph's story sets a high standard for us in overcoming in the face of adversity and defeat and hardship and difficulty. It reminds us of the importance of trusting God and choosing acceptance and joy and forgiveness at every turn of life's road. But, but you know what? Make no mistake about it. Joseph wasn't supernatural. He was human. He was made of the same flesh and bone and blood that we are. Don't think he didn't have gut reactions. Gut reactions to get angry, to get bitter, to plot revenge. He was human. We all have those immediate reactions, those immediate emotions, but he didn't follow them. He made a conscious effort and a conscious decision 
to choose God's way at every turn. We want to act in our flesh sometimes, don't we? We want to run. We want to ignore. We want to revenge. We want to attack by our own strength. But we don't give in to our flesh. That's not God's way. We want to choose His way. That's what an overcomer is. It isn't someone who musters up his own strength at every obstacle in life's road. Charges forward. No, you know what? There's going to come an obstacle. There's going to come a trial that you can't solve. You can't fix. You can't overcome in your own strength. Look at Joseph's response. He didn't go down for the count. He didn't try to take matters into his own hands. He didn't try to change his lot and run from it. He looked to God and trusted him in every situation he was placed in. He got busy doing what God wanted him to do right there. His tragedies didn't define who he was. It didn't define his story, but his response to them, his trust in a provident God and his attitude of acceptance, they did define his destiny. God had a mighty plan for Joseph, but it could only be realized by the right attitude, by a cooperation with what God is doing. You know, God loves us so much that he gives us the marvelous gift of free will, of choice. But with that comes the tragic opportunity we have of messing up God's plan for us. You know you can do that? You can derail what God is trying to do. Complaining, grumbling, ignoring, not getting what God is trying to tell us. He wants so badly to redirect us. He wants so badly to bless us. He wants to make us men and women of God that he can richly use and richly bless. And we fight and we kick and we grumble and we complain and we delay. We derail God's plan for our lives. Learn from Joseph's example. Your trial is ordained by God. It's for a purpose. It's only for a short while and for your greater good. Is God taking you through something today? Remember, he has a purpose for it. He has a great plan for your life. And he can only get you there sometimes through difficulties, through trials, through the character chiseling and the character crushing that you find yourself in. So ask yourself today, how am I responding? What is my response to the obstacles in my road? How am I responding to the trial, to the storm that I now find myself in the middle of? Am I Am I overwhelmed and going under? Then you've given in to failure and defeat. Am I running away and trying to ignore the inevitable? You've given in to fear. Am I trying to change my course, change my lot, avoid the obstacles? You've given in to a lack of faith. God can get you through. Am I taking matters into my own hands? to overcome, to charge forward. You've given into pride. Your strength, your resources, your wisdom will all eventually fail. Am I accepting what God has allotted and allowed for me? Looking to Him for direction and obeying what He wants me to do in the place where He's placed me? Ah, you've already won. Then you found the secret of success. You found the path of the overcomer. See, it doesn't matter what the trial is. It doesn't matter how big the obstacle is. It doesn't matter how you want to react. It doesn't matter what your fear tells you. It doesn't matter what Satan whispers in your ear. It doesn't matter what the discouraging voices around you 
are saying. All that matters is that there is a voice that calls you to follow Him, to trust Him, to look to Him. All that matters is that there is a hand that is reaching down for you to take and hold on to, and that hand will carry you through the storm. There's nothing too big, too challenging, too impossible for our God. Amen? Amen. So choose God's way. Yeah, it's an obstacle. Yeah, it's an unexpected difficulty, an unexpected hardship, an unexpected trial. But remember, it's ordained, it's purposeful, and it's temporary. And it's making you into someone far greater than you could have ever been without it. So choose Acceptance in what seems unfair and unjust. Choose joy in the sorrow. Choose faith in the uncertainty. Choose obedience in the chaos. Choose God's way at every turn. And like Joseph, one day you're going to step back and you're going to have that payday and God's plan will be revealed and you're going to look back and say, thank God. Thank God that it was just for a little while. Thank God that that trial was temporary. Thank God that He had a purpose for it. Thank God that He had a plan and He knew exactly what He was doing. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You so much for the example of Joseph that You have given us. We thank you for his response in each of his life's trials and for your consistent faithfulness to him at every turn. We thank you that by your strength, in your wisdom and through your providence, there is nothing in life that we cannot overcome. We come before you today with this truth and we lay down our fear to you. We know we can overcome through you. We lay down our pride to you Father, our own strength and wisdom and resources and devices have failed us time and time again. And we're done with self-will and self-reliance. We want to be overcomers. And that can only come with a complete reliance and dependence on you. Our strength truly is fragile and vulnerable and weak. But like that song said, your strength is perfect. Thank you, Lord for being with us this afternoon and for being with us every moment of our lives. We claim your strength today. We lift our eyes up off of our circumstances and ourselves and onto you. We lift our eyes to the maker of the mountain that we can't climb. And we go forward with a renewed strength and confidence in your never-failing providence because in you we can climb it. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your strength. And in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.